Hey, and there we are. Welcome, everybody, to the new branding of the show. And, of course, those of you tuning in to us here on Parapost Central, uh, Parapost Network Central, rather, uh, welcome aboard. Uh, I'm Dan Hallroyd. That's Drew Ellsworth McRae with us. Hey, Drew. Hey, bud. We've got a guest with us tonight. So this is the SMP Paranormal Show. We are no longer doing some of the old stuff. We've got a new new branding. Uh, we've redone the network. As you see at the bottom there, there's a banner that's scrolling. It says unrestrictedparanormal.com and, of course, Parapost Network Central. The cool thing with Parapost here is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a thing that I got in, involved in with Brian Laverty. He's going to be on the show looking at my calendar here on the 21st. Brian will be with us to talk to us about the global ghost hunt. You know, I've been advertising that. I'm one of the coordinators, so we will talk about that. But we have a guest. This is a, a person that I met in June. Uh, we've had around the program already. You can see her down there on the bottom of your screen. And uh, this is Rhiannon Sizon. I, I hope I do your last name right, right? No, it's Sizen. Sizen. I think you told me that before. Damn it. I knew I'd butcher it. Okay, Sizen. Rhiannon Sizen. Okay, she is the executive director of the uh, Berrien Springs Historical Association, um, and we did an investigation with her, which we're going to just mention here at the top of the show, um, last Saturday. And I felt some things could have been done on my end, but overall, it still seemed to be quite uh, good. Uh, you know, the the predilection going in. Everybody, welcome to the program. Um, when we go into break, I'll talk about the sponsors. Um but for now, everybody welcome her to the show. And we would like to hear about the Berrien Springs uh, Historical Association and what that, you know, that courtyard is and what these buildings are. Because you gave us the rundown, but none of us were recording like Netwits. Now, I got audio of you. I can play it on the audio. Uh, I read and I can play it on the audio all day long. But I want to hear it from you here with this audience. Okay, well. The Berrien County Historical Association was established in 1968 with the singular goal at the time of preserving and um, protecting the 1839 County Courthouse. It is the oldest court uh, county courthouse in the state of Michigan yeah. and like the second or third oldest in the Great Lakes state. Um, there's one that also opened in 18 1839 in um, Putnam County, Illinois. I haven't been able to figure out when they first opened uh we do know ours was april so the earlier in the year the more likely we were okay. that. so today the history center courthouse square is a 1.6 acre property owned by Berrien county um so all the buildings and the grounds are owned by the county they are held in trust underneath the parks department we are considered a county park so our grounds are opened on till dusk the buildings have limited times of course because I will not be there from dawn until dusk. I will be right. going home at a reasonable hour. Um, and so the buildings are then stewarded by the BCHA. The BCHA is a private 501c3 as defined by the IRS. We do raise funds. We are, as part of our partnership with the county, we receive funding from the county, uh, $95,000 a year. And then to supplement the remainder of our approximately $195,000 budget, um, we have our gift shop, which we do sales in. We have membership opportunities. We do general donations, programming fees. Um, our signature event every year, our annual, um, our annual ask every year, all, all that's getting revamped. And there's a lot of room to grow in that. So 
we operate the property as a museum and we have five buildings. Four are open to the public, the fifth being, the nice way I can say it publicly is it's the county's most historic storage shed. <laughs> so, right. um, so the three original buildings to the property are the courthouse, which was technically the second building built on the grounds, the first being the 1838 jail. And as I made the joke that, of course, the first building the county built is the jail. Um, and then in 1860, they added the first story section of what is the records building that serves offices for the ju probate judge. If you need to get like your certificates for marriage or death or whatever, vital records, that would have been found in there because they were outgrowing the space and the first floor of the courthouse quite quickly. And then in 1870, they tore, well, 1869, they tore down the old jail, and which was wooden, and built two new buildings that would be the sheriff's residence and the jail. They were technically two separate buildings, but they shared a wall, quote unquote. Um, and there was a, connect, a door that connected to the upper and the lower levels. It was a two-story jail. And it was not a long-term jail. This is not where you went not like today where if you're, you got to spend 30 days in the county jail, that's not where you'd have been sent at. Right. Either you got sent back to, you typically most people who were there were being held just for a few days. Because if you've ever, when you go to the property, <coughs> you're going to come see it. The, the shapes of the cells are very, very small. Um, so at best, you're there for a few days. It yeah. is not designed for long-term holding. Right, right. So, so either like, hold, like holding cells, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So either you got sent to, if you were long-term, you might be sent to the second story which only had half the number of cells. They were much bigger. Um, most of the folks that were up there were women or children, um, indignants, um, people with disabilities. So if you had somebody who was, you know, old Joe, you know, he's got a little loopy in the head, you know, they'd keep him, they'd hold him there. But I think if you had any long-termers, they'd have been upstairs because either you got sent to Jacktown, uh, you get sent back to your respective city and they would hold them in their jail cells or, you know, you were acquitted and you didn't need to be in jail anymore. Right, right. Um, that building would eventually be torn down, um, like the other jail. It was torn down in 1916. And in 1990, the BCHA built a plaza with uh, a design embedded into the floor to show where that first floor jail cells would be at. One of the designers, Richard Postman, we found out just died here a few days ago. Um, and there are two jail cells to kind of give you an idea of how big these guys actually were. In 1873, the county realized that they were still outgrowing the pace of their needs for the spaces that they had. Yeah. So they added a two-story section to the records building. So today it's a single and a two-story. And then that would be the last change that was made to the property by the county. In 1894, St. Joe won the vote to move to, uh, to be the new home of the county seat. So everything just kind of left. The county remained in ownership of all of the properties for the next 20 years or so. Um, for a brief period of time, the campus was the first home to Manual Missionary College, Emmanuel Missionary College, which is now Andrews University. So their right. very first school year in Berrien Springs was yeah. on the property. Um, the courthouse continued to be used as a church by the Shakers, the last of the Shakers in the area. And the Christian Brethren, it um, briefly became a dance hall. Still remain as a community center for the surrounding res area residents. Um, but eventually the county started to jettison land. Um, 
the land that they didn't need, they sold off first, and then they began to sell off the buildings. Both the records building and the jail, or the records building and the sheriff's residence were sold into private ownership. Um, eventually, th- that would be multiple families would move through the sheriff's residence, um, as well as in the records building. And eventually, the guy who purchased both of those properties sold the records building to somebody else. And the county, the only thing the county kept was the was the courthouse. It was kind of they were still kind of territorial of it. Yeah. Um, in 1916, um, the Seventh Day Adventists, which had grown considerably in number, realized they needed a village church. Um, the church on the campus was not yet there, so they were running out of space. And so they came to the county and said, "Can we rent the courthouse as our new church?" The guy's like. Yeah, why not? Like it's free money in their pocket. Yeah. And so from 1917 until 1922, the Adventist community rented the building. And in 1922, approached the county asking if they could purchase the building. They needed to start making some changes and they really couldn't do it as renters. Um, and the county said, you know what? It's time to let the property go. So they sold it to the Adventists in 1922. The um, church elders also purchased some additional land, which I think based on the description is probably right behind where the cabin is now. Um, And then they eventually purchased all the land on the front half of the property. They would add a doctor's office in the far corner. And then they would add the auxiliary building because they were out in the space. By 1966, the Adventists realized they could no longer use the, it was just too much. And so they built the current village Adventist church and in May of that year, they met at the courthouse and then did a giant mass congregational walk to their new location. We do have a picture of that in the exhibit, the permanent exhibit downstairs. And then the building was left abandoned. And other than the people living in the sheriff's residence and the records building and then the doctor's office, it was just kind of left as is. So the BCHC, which was a historical commission, our original name, was formed to create was created to ensure that that building wasn't lost because it is very historic. And so they purchased the building from the Adventists and then turned around and gave it to the county who agreed to serve as the owners of the property with the BCHA stewarding it. And from 1968 until approximately 1975, they gutted the building back down to the studs um, and completely rebuilt it from scratch. There was a lot of modifications under the Adventists. So they had to go back. Go back, and they decided that the long thing is they continue to do this and do like the permanent exhibit down below. They realized that they needed to kind of branch out. There were three other historic buildings on the property. The goal may be to get those guys too. By 19, by the late 1970s, the BCHA was able to purchase the sheriff's residence. And I believe by 85 or 86, it was open to the public um, as a temporary exhibit space slash museum space on the lower level research library and offices in the upper level and what had been the old kitchens became the collections and archives um the family that lived there i have met the last family that have lived there or members of the last family to live there um and they told me that the building had been split into three apartments so kind of the building got sliced in half in a sense so the le- if you're looking at the building, the left half of the building, upper and lower became one apartment, and then the downstairs, low, you know, other half, the lower level was one apartment, the upper level was another, 
And it seems it was all pretty much members of the same family living in there. So it really wasn't that awkward to see right. going to the bathroom, which was located underneath the stairs at the time. Um, that building had a fire in it at some point. I've not been able to pinpoint the year quite yet. For some reason, while the early records for like the courthouse are like phenomenal, and they had all these wonderful scrapbooks, by the 80s, they were not keeping a lot of that information. So oh, no. I'm still doing research. I have to still do research on the history of the house. But we do know that it caught on fire which resulted in them finding hidden in the walls extra spindles for the stairs. So they were able to find what the original spindles look like. So oh. if, you, if you go there, the spindles that you see, that's the original pattern from 1870. Um, the records building. Um, so anyway, so they were able to get that. They started working in the seventies on that. Um, and they really got very active in the seventies because by that point, two additional, pro uh, one additional building was added to the property and they renovated a second. So in 1968, the Murdoch Log Cabin was rediscovered, quote unquote, um, on Kephart Road in Berrien Springs. There was a family living in there. I have met a couple of the members of the last family. They're all like coming out of the woodwork. It's great. They're giving me all these stories. Right. Um, the cabin was built in 1830. Um, apparently there was some kind of disagreement about the, the history at one point, but it has, as far as I can tell, been taken care of until I jinx myself and somebody comes out of the woodwork to argue with me on it. Hmm. But anyway, the cabin would eventually have some additions added onto it. Um, and then they began to plaster over the walls and then they began to put like siding on there. And by the civil war, people had the whole house was covered. Um, even though the cabin was still there, the cabin was completely covered and I guess in a way converted into for what was then a contemporary modern home. Yeah, modern home. Yeah, modern Yeah, living, and then yeah. it just changed hands and changed hands and changed hands over the years. The family only lived in there five years. So the Murdochs don't have a very long history in there. It's just called the Murdoch Log Cabin because it was built for them. It was their first home in Berrien Springs. Right, right. And then by the 1960s, I would take a wild guess that they were living a bit in what we would define as slum conditions. Um, the family was living in 1966, just like they were living in 1866. There was electricity in the building, but there was no washroom. No bathroom had ever been added into that building. Um, and there was only one pipe leading into the property, and that was for the kitchen sink. They heated it with the wood-burning stove. Um, so the circular cutouts in our ceiling on the first floor, that was for the the piping to go up through the to the roof. Um, eventually, the fireplace was covered over um, and they had, she, she said they felt like a little bit like they were spoiled because they had a three seater outhouse. <laughs> I'm like, bro, this is 1966. You should have like a pink bathroom. With, but like, but I can, I can, I can actually associate with that a little bit because my grandparents had a house on West Lake in mm -hmm. the early sixties. And I, you know, I'm going to give away my age here. Uh, you know, 66, I'm a little kid. I'm going out to that house on West Lake and they, my uncles lived in bedrooms in the basement and they still had dirt floor. Uh, the upstairs had a wood burning stove. Uh, they had a, uh, pump, a well, they weren't hooked up to Portage city water at that time. So much like you're describing is this is how my relatives lived at this lake house. And the beautiful thing was you could just walk from the house down to a, you know, a public access and go swimming in West Lake. Of course, that house is still there now. I'm sure with thousands of dollars of renovation over the, over the years, but everything you're describing is just like I my family lived that life, and then then uh, my family lived like that up in Nuevo for a short time too. So 
it, it's, it would almost seem unheard of, but then again, I can associate to it because my family had no running water and electric in Nuevo for four years when they lived in a small house that they built up there too. So it's amazing yeah. what people can um, do, I guess. People live through, right? Yeah. Um, we did find yeah. out, when I talked to the members of the last family, she's, you know, she had very fond memories of living it. And I said, when they rediscovered the cabin, she goes, oh, we knew the cabin was there. We could see. By that point, the plaster was off the walls. So they they knew the wood. They could see the wood walls underneath. But there were people who had lived there, you know, earlier in the century that was like, I lived in that house and I didn't know it. But I remember asking the one daughter, I think her name's Teresa. I said, well, she was younger. She was like little elementary age. And I said, out of curiosity, what kind of, because her older siblings were all like preteen and teens. I said, what kind of music did your siblings listen to? She was, oh yeah, we had American bandstand on the TV and, you know, they'd listen to Pat Boone. And so I said, so if I sit there and said that people, you know, theoretically in this house, people listen to the Beatles play on Ed Sullivan. She goes, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was, that, that yeah, was something yeah. you can say. So it's, there's a house it's a great home. It's just, <laughs> it's just a little live rustically. It's anyway, ru very rustic. Yeah. Rustically. So yeah. when it was rediscovered in 68, after they started to tear the houses down over on Kephart for a new, well, they were, they were gutting everything. The farmland had been sold for a subdivision and they just had that house there. So they were gutting the house and everyone's like, Oh God, you can't do it. So Western Michigan came down to do some research. Kind of like they do when they find bodies in the ground when they're like you know, digging up for roads. Oh yeah. Um, and they, Western Michigan, as far as, and I'm going to say they're going to, they would have done a thorough job because it was Western Michigan. They're not going to put their reputation on the line for shot. No, nope. they still do a lot of projects like that now. Still, so. exactly. So they did the research and they discovered it was the oldest two story log cabin in the state. Oh, and wow. it was like one of the fourth oldest, it was like the fourth oldest residence in the state or like the fourth oldest. Yeah. It was like the fourth oldest residence in the state. Um, and so we had, um, so we have, you know, we got a lot of history in it. Um, eventually there was, no, we are not on YouTube tonight. Um, eventually there Drew, were, sent, Drew, send them over to Parapost Network Central. We're no longer uh, hooked up. I'm already over YouTube. there. I can't find us over there either. Oh, but we should be live. We're hooked up. I'm not repeating this if we're not live. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. It's being recorded, so keep going. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, after five years, there was just this argument about what to do with the building. And finally, Orinoco and Burying Townships um, and a couple of other private donors gave money to have the, the building moved to our property. And right. so it was placed behind where it is currently, which is behind the sheriff's residence. <laughs> and it's been there ever since. Or excuse me, behind the courthouse. So that building was added and it was open mid seventies. I think they, once they had it all done up and whatever, it was open by the mid seventies for the public to visit. And then in 73, the family of George Bennett came to the BCHA and said, Hey, you know, dad was a huge supporter of you guys. He has left some money for you. Uh, money. Um, and we'd like to apply it to something on the grounds and his memory. And so there was talk about, they were going to, they are, and they did tear down the share, the, um, doctor's office and they were thinking about tearing down the auxiliary building which is a concrete was a concrete cinder block building so there was no point in keeping it but then here came the bennett family with their generosity and they created bennett's forge so we use them to create bennett's forge and buggy center it's bennett's forge and tetanus central right now <laughs> a lot of rusted items in there 
Um, and so that opened, I believe, in 78. And so then the next building that we were able to get hold of then was the, the sheriff's office. Um, and then they they were gunning, both the county and the BCHA were gunning for the records building. And they were eventually able to purchase it by the late 90s, I think. Somewhere in the 90s, I think they were able to purchase it. But it wasn't until like the 2000s when they were able to finally boot everybody out of there. The people that live in the apartments and the business folks that oh, they were in the two-story section. They were able to get them booted out. And, um, we had, we had plans for the building and the county was a little hesitant to do a lot of big number of investment because a lot of stuff had to be gutted. Um, right. so the BCHA took on the responsibility of doing a capital campaign in 2006 to restore the building. They borrowed the county, um, invested money into the BCHA to help them do all the pre-work. So hiring the professionals to come in and help prepare the capital campaign help us with the prospectus list, come up with the architectural drawings, everything. So the money went towards getting everything prepared. And then in 2007, the recession hit. So people were not giving, like it was museums. The thing about museums is we are the first to get hit in a recession or an economic downturn or pandemic. Well, yeah, um, because they're going to allocate that money to other other thing resources first right. and then you guys are last on the list and yeah. then we're last on the list for the for the revival especially for, especially right. if anything that affects tourism um and that can be hard that can be a difficult thing so um they kind of got kicked in the teeth and so they were trying to figure out what to do the the information still theoretically was still good a year or two later but then in 2008 the building caught on fire oh um, no <laughs> they think that it was a uh they think there was a squatter in the building and it was accidental arson. It's not like the guy meant to set it on fire, um, but basically took out the roof and blew out the windows. So they did minimal amount of work to get the roof on there, fix the point tucking, um, and they reboarded up the windows and just kind of left it as is. There was another smaller fire apparently in 2011. <laughs> Fire seems um, to be this theme that goes on. Yeah, there. the uh, courthouse caught on fire too. That got hit by lightning in eighty uh, in eighty nine. Oh my! And uh, burnt the south what we we know is the southwest corner of, of the building. Um, and so they use it as an opportunity to kind of do some updates and upgrades to the layout yeah. of the courtroom uh, to where it is today. Um, so the the sheriff's residence is open to the public as a exhibit space where our temporary exhibits are at. We just finished renovating the sheriff's residence, so our the office and the hallway. We still got a little bit of tweaking room in there. We will have a, another permanent exhibit put in there. Um, but John and I had a conversation here not too long ago about the decades that we want represented and what's available to us in these spaces. So obviously, 1839, straight out the straight out the gate for the courthouse. Like that's that. Um, but we will do the, the cabin about 1859, uh, eight, mid 1850s, 1859. Very cool. There's items that are a lot easier for us to find for reproductions right. um, to interpret. There's a little bit more history going on by and then. That's understandable. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's a lot easier for us. So the lower level, we are writing grants right now. We get the grants. We will be doing some renovations in there next year. We will be replacing some of our current artifacts with repos, um, both to protect our artifacts and to allow people to start interacting with the space more. Um, we'll make some repairs to the building, like electric and some like the doors and stuff. There's some physical structural stuff, but that's the county. 
they own the building. They can figure out how to pay to get the roof fixed. That's them. That's a them problem, not a me problem. Right, right. Um, but we will do like fix the doors, add the step downs on the sides. We'll do permanent interpretation in there. We'll have some like technology. We'll get the shop lights out of there and replace them with something more historically accurate. Um, and then along the back wall, we're going to add um, a temporary exhibit space where we can just put them in little pocket holders. And we will talk about pioneers in every sense of the word, everything from, you know, people who actually pioneered living in Berrien County to, right. you know, pioneers in the disability community in Berrien County. So pioneers in every sense of the word, which would be really yeah. exciting. Yeah. And we just got some information from one of the last members of the Jewish, the Berrien County Jewish Farmers Association. So we'll be able to do a little bit more in depth into that subject at some point. Yeah, Berrien Springs is quite a, an eclectic Mix. I know between you guys and Niles and Buchanan, in in just in that area, you guys have a lot of famous things and yep. very historical things that are attached. Um, what I would ask you too, you know that 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 sheriff's uh, quarters that you've got set up there now, with that, is that represented where it probably would have been, or is that just where you guys decided maybe that's probably where it should be? So kind of a little column A, little column B. Uh, okay. It's hard okay. to find information about the house. I got to get into the, um, the, the journal era and its predecessor, the Berrien Springs era, are not digitized. So I have to physically go into the yeah, era's office and sit through it. I just have not been. I can do that. And I'll probably end up doing that. In the, in and, the and if anybody watching or listening doesn't know, you know, I do research on a lot of things and have with this group for years. And there's times with stacks of stuff. Yep. It, and it physically, it takes hours to where you're almost dizzy and I could start at eight in the morning and realize it's now nine, 10 o'clock at night, uh, just sifting through stuff and writing notes. So that's a lot of work. I, I, you know, I, I respect you for that. And yeah. Uh, it, and we try to of, find what we, yeah, what we can digitally, but a right. lot of what we think we're going to find will be in the Berrien Springs. physical record. Yeah. Which, which is, which I'm glad that people still kept, still keep physical record. I do both with ours. Yes. Cause you know, if, if you lose digital, you kind of screwed. So what are you going to yes, go back exactly. to? Well, we got we got this other stuff in the filing cabinet back here. Oops. So exactly. you, and and it's fireproof. It's a fireproof cabinet. So I thought if we burned the house down, at least I still got my stuff. You still um, got it. I was so going to tell you to that, answer, that. Oh, I'm sorry. To answer your question, we opted to design it, design the sheriff's office in two ways. One representative of what would have been the design of the time frame. So about 1885 to 1889. Um, because this is still, even though it's a government building, it is still a home and it's the office of the sheriff. So they would have been, there would have been a balance between um, personal taste um, and what was popular at the time. Sure. But also it needs to look nice because you're the sheriff and you need to have a space where people can come in and visit you. Yep. So our choice to do the wallpaper, there's nothing historically, we had no history based off of why we chose the wallpaper in that space. I chose it because I liked it. And I was like, this is very Victorian. This is very 1800s. That was the time frame we chose. It's very masculine. So we would have some very masculine feeling in that room. And so, but everything else was kind of based off the color scheme that we created from that. So we said, we'll do some reds in here. Or we'll do a little bit of you know different blues. Um, so we decided to do it that way and then be a little bit more neutral in the hallway and a little bit more feminine in the hallway. When we get to the room under the stairs, which is storage right now, but will be a permanent exhibit, hopefully sometime next year, early 2024, um, 
that will kind of be a neutral space. We will have like some of the wallpaper will be in there to kind of connect the two rooms, right? But not so historically accurate. That's that's going to be a permanent exhibit. So the house is the rest of it's just designed to be a neutral space for our temporary exhibits, um, white walls, neutral colored. Uh, trim for the windows and then consistency on the floors with the rest of the trim. But when we get to the point where someday if I can get $2 million to do it, I restore the records building. um, Eventually the collections and archives and the temporary exhibits will all go next door to the records building. So then the sheriff's office will become a, basically a workspace slash actual house museum. So the lower level will go back into being a more traditional house museum but we will not stick with 1885 for the rest of the lower level. One of the issues a lot of museums have is they ignore the fact that if they pick a time frame, so this is the time frame we're picking, they ignore the fact that there's a lot more history to the house and a lot of history after that time period that's not being interpreted. So we had, so we know families were living there for, well, 100 years, 1870 to the 1970s. And so we will probably pick two different decades so the front room will become the living room slash parlor and we'll probably pick like the 1920s or something. And then the back room, which would have been probably the dining room, we'll do a combo dining room kitchen and we'll probably pick mid-century. But, you know, right. we, we kind of talk about that full history in the house. The records building will do kind of an like a 20s, late 20s, early 30s art deco in terms of colors and maybe patterns, like, you know, flooring, um, because we want to kind of balance it out. And then we'll probably do around a turn of the century in the forge. The forge will be gutted and completely redone. Um, we have to fix the roof. The flooring needs to be redone. The whole back needs to be, we've got like soffits falling. We've got like animals coming in. <laughs> it's like, I was like, there's animal poop in here. I'm like, yeah, I know. Just don't disturb the raccoons and you'll be fine. <laughs> That's yeah. what you want to tell your guests, but it's something yep. you have to warn them. No, but I'd be more uh, disturbed if it was human poop. We'll just, we'll just well, I'd be, I'd, well, I don't know if I'd be disturbed so much as angry. Uh, <laughs> that I'm too. Not, I'm not picking that too. Up. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we'll yeah. gut that space, redo it, and it'll become Bennett's Forge and Artisan Center. So we will have, we will redo the forge so it's more functional for the the Smiths who do come in. We'll have a permanent, small permanent exhibit on early industries in Berrien County. And then we'll leave the rest of the building open with tables so we can have workshops in there. So different traditional arts and crafts, everything from the yarn arts, the glass work. Well, we can't do like, like hot shop glass, but we can do yeah, like glass yeah. beading or um, stained glass making or whatever to pottery, to woodworking, all those kinds of things. We eventually want to be a place where we can part, be in a place where we can partner with like the box, uh, box factory for the arts. Crassel, uh, Water Street Glassworks, and other groups in Berrien County um, to keep to give another space where we can have these more traditional arts, so to speak, um, revitalized. We're also continuing to remind the Pokagon that we're a spot. And we'd love to have them. I do have an in with the Art Council uh, for the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi. So eventually, we'd like to get some of them out to come, you know, do demonstrations and yeah, workshops on yeah. beadwork. Um, and then the idea is that we can then extend to ethnic, religious, and racial groups in the area and dive deeper into those kind of traditions and like, you know, dying, like the Ukrainian eggs. There's a woman in Berrien County who does the Ukrainian eggs. Um, Poland does something similar, but 
Um, Ukraine's known for their painted Easter eggs. So oh, yeah. she had yeah. done some paint. Uh, she done some workshops in the spring around Easter to raise money for aiding in the Ukraine to send overseas. Uh, but that's a woman that we love to have. Let's talk about this tradition and let's do it. So the idea is that, and eventually we'll get the garden going. And the garden is the heritage garden is next to the cabin. And that poor, I have got to give a huge shout out to John Frombach because he spent 20 years working on that garden and trying to keep it alive. And he, he believes in the fact that we should have a garden and was the reason why we have one. Um, but unfortunately <laughs> the garden is, not where we where it should be, and John can't do it all. So eventually what we're going to do is we're going to redo the garden, and it's going to be essentially a sixth location for us. We'll be doing historical interpretation through plants, essentially. And we will have it next to the garden, because or next to the cabin, which is the really the best place for it, um, because it does help continue interpretation of the cabin as they would have had their own garden, right? right. Um, we will uh, gut it, and we'll add more... Um, we have six raised beds now. I want to move it to like seven or eight. Uh, we're going to try and do like a baby orchard, like four or five trees representative of the area. Um, have a sitting area in the middle of the raised beds so people can enjoy the grounds. We are a park after all. Um, but the idea is that each year we do we pick a new theme for the garden. So maybe we do pioneer in one year. Or maybe we do a, an entire medicinal garden, plants and fruits and veggies and herbs. All of these things that are medicinal focused. Um, maybe we do a world world tour, uh, blah, 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 World War II victory garden. And the idea is that we talk about the history of that kind of gardening or those kinds of traditions. And then we have a couple programs tied into it. And then at the end of the season, for our member as one of our member only events, uh, we basically um, have a dinner. And as much of that garden should be shown up in that dinner, we'll bring in a chef and we'll, you know, we'll work with a chef and a small company group and have a dinner using stuff from the garden. And then to add an extra twist to it, the meal should be representative of whatever we have chosen for the theme for that year. Right. And it's not even just about time periods. We can do global. We can talk about African-American gardening traditions. We can talk about German gardening traditions. We can talk about Mexican gardening traditions and what would have been in these gardens that we can theoretically grow here in Michigan in the summer um, and be able to share those stories. So if we do Mexican, then we'll have a couple of, you know, if we do Mexico one year, then, or maybe we do Latin American, you know, uh, gardening and then each country gets its own, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll do eight countries and at the end we'll talk about the food. So anyway, the idea, eventually we'll also have some other decorative stuff on the grounds. I want to put more seating on the grounds around the trees um, I want a gazebo in that far empty corner. Um, but the idea is that this should be a holistic approach to history, heritage, and culture. And we are limited. Our budget is around 195,200 if, <laughs> if I'm in a good year, um, sometimes less. And we have got, we've gotten kicked in the teeth quite a bit in these last few years on top of the decline that we were experiencing. Our membership is getting older. I am losing members and I don't have people to kind of come in and take those spaces. So being young has helped. It's my energy, being young and my energy has helped a lot. But it's also been important because I can connect with my peer group. People right. who are like, I love history. I'm like, okay, well, love history and give me some money, girls, because you're not going to have history. Right, right. Or, or come out and volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. So 
the idea is connecting with the communities. Again, we have a, what I call an I th- uh, a 139 price. So Michigan 139 runs from Niles through Berrien Springs and up to Benton Harbor, St. Joe, where it merges with 63. And I say we have that problem because everything north and everything south has been more or less ignored in our collections. And so I'm trying to develop better relationships, not with just the other museums, but with these communities. There's only so much that North Berrien or New Buffalo or Niles or Buchanan or, you know, St. Joe or, you know, Three Oaks. There's only so much that these guys can talk about. And if we're the County Historical Association, I said the county was a book for the introduction. So you come here and you figure out what be, what is Berrien County. And then you go to those other museums to learn about what the, the chapters, the deeper right. stories. Right. I can't tell those stories. I got what, 15, 16 cities alone that I need, I need to have stuff in the collections. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, business and well, you know, women's history and this history. And there's all, all these other things that we have to talk about. Yeah. So, but anyway, the long and short of it is we've revitalized quite a bit in the last three years. Um, we have diversified our programming so that more families want to come. People in my age group, the 30 sums, the, was it the 24 to 39ers, you know, yeah. they want to start, you know, getting involved and coming we're rebuilding our relationships with other museums, other businesses. I was just at a Harbor Country Mixer tonight um, with the Harbor County Chamber or Harbor Country Chamber. And I made a connection with someone who will is interested in helping us with our Garden Lovers Weekend and maybe helping out with you know other things at the museum outside of that. So those kinds of things. And I said, you know, I made the announcement about the fundraiser in September or this is in October. I said for too long we've ignored Harbor Country and we've ignored the Niles region. We ignored North County. I said and that's coming to an end. So it is a lot of work. Um, yes, I am burned out, but that's that's on me. I was just told I had to fix the organization. I was not given a timeline. I was not told I had to do any of this. All of this is on me. But um, I have a very supportive board. Um, the current board we have right now is you know, think of new ways they can help support me and take things off of my plate so I can focus on other things. I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing it all. I'm doing operations and programs and exhibits and gift shop and third party events and renovations. And you would think at this point, (laughs) well, yeah, I'm not losing any weight despite my, you know, my burnout. So anyway, that's what we are. That's the BCH It's a lot. Well, I asked about the I asked about the sheriff's area. Um, we're going to take our break here in a second, and when we come back, we'll discuss more of this the paranormal side that we did with you there. In a sense that I felt heavy in there. Every everybody did, as far as I know, at least with my my crew. Um, Shane and them felt it too. You know, I don't know what it is about that room, um, whether it be some connection to the furniture or just the atmosphere, but every other room in the house was not as heavy as that room. And it wasn't negative. It was just, I felt like something was there. Um, we had a little bit of contact, but we're going to take our first break. We'll talk more about that. Everybody, please stay with us. Uh, we've got Rhiannon with us, uh, from the Berrien Springs, uh, historical association. Drew, I'm going to let you get a word in edgewise. I know you were trying to tell me that uh, they, they couldn't so find sorry. us on YouTube. Um, yeah. I have people go, blowing up my phone. It's like, where, where where are I you guys s- at? You the stream tonight? I, I, I know. Did you share it? I know. I, I pulled it up and it was like five minutes behind, and that like drives yeah. me insane hearing her talking and seeing what she talked about five minutes ago. Yeah. So I just shut it off. So just so <laughs> just share the link if you can. People will find us eventually. We'll figure it out. But guys, we're I can't because break. I have no way to type it. 
Um, I don't know where to put it. And other than I shared it with you and I guess you can take it from there. Well, everybody got real quiet all of a sudden. All right, we're going to take our first break. Um, I want to remind you of our sponsors, everybody, even though we're here over at uh, Parapost Network Central. If you scroll down, for those of you, if you're watching this now, if you want to catch it later, it'll probably be right up on the page. But for now, for future reference, um, when we don't have a dock at a time, if you scroll down, you'll see a series of videos. You've got to scroll through those, and then you'll see that ours is live and it's happening right now. In the next show... We will have a dock at a time at 8 p.m. Somebody dropped the ball here. Uh, wasn't us. Uh, so we have that slot of time frame. And so when we go live, we'll be on the main page. Uh, uh, our sponsors, Gun Barrel Coffee. You know, I've talked about them a lot. Uh, you've had the rest. Please drink the best. It's gunbarrelcoffee.com. Go check them out. They're out of Batavia, Illinois, guys and gals and everybody in between. Uh, it's really good coffee. It's made by veterans, brewed by veterans. Portions of their sales Great online or at the shop. Yeah, he's had it. Um, it goes to veterans organizations all over the world. That's a pretty good uh, thing to do to help out the vets. Um, they uh, also make a CBD-infused mix, which I have had. And uh, thank God, because uh, even though coffee is to keep you awake, that curved a lot of pain by trying that. And uh, I would recommend it to anybody. So gunbarrelcoffee.com. If you use this code, BDOG12, B, capital B, DOG12, uh, you will still get a discount. He says he's going to leave that on there permanently. So you can get a discount on your first purchase. Also, Henderson Castle, hendersoncastle.com. Go check them out. It's an 1895 bed and breakfast right here in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yours truly will take you on a haunted historical tour. Uh, I feel like I know the uh, Hendersons inside and out, so to speak. And uh, I'm not going to give away all the rest of it, but just go to hendersoncastle.com. We still have openings for this Friday is our first one back. We're back for the season. So uh, check us out. Um, also, I guess uh, I don't know that she knows that we're going to say that they're kind of a friend and a sponsor, but you need to, Rhiannon, tell them where they can go to get in touch with uh, the Historical Association. There are three ways that you can, well, four, technically four ways. If you are old school, you can call us at 269-471-1202. Staff is available Wednesday through Sunday, 10 to 5. You can email us at info at buryinhistory.org. You can check out our website, buryinhistory.org. Um, we've been, it's a, little, it's a little under construction. I've been adding and subtracting pages. Um, but you can find out about our programs, exhibits, group tour information, photography policy, and more. And of course, you can donate online and register for programs and events like our signature event in October. And then you can follow us on social media. We are the History Center at Courthouse Square on Facebook. There is a Berrien County Historical Association. Somebody who used to work at the BCHA made it. I have no access to that. So it's the History Center at Courthouse Square. That is the active one. You're going to know because you'll see consistent posting from us. Or you can follow us on Instagram, the History Center. I do not know how we were able to secure the History Center as our name because the History Center is a common name in museums world. I cannot tell you how many times I am tagged from Florida to New York to California on Instagram because people are like, well, it's at the History Center of Murfreesboro. They have a different name on Instagram. Yeah, so that's not here. Yeah. It's not here. I did. Someone was like tagging us in like an ad for uh, 
uh, a film festival in New York, and I met, I wrote in comments said, mm, "Not us." No, no. <laughs> it sounds great. Good luck. <laughs> so there's a lot of ways you can get a hold of us. Um, you can, if you're interested in shopping or attending programs or whatever, you can find all the information online. All right. Very cool. Everybody stay with us. We're going to be back for more right after this. And I want to remind you of the Global Ghost Hunt. You'll also find that commercial here during the break. I am one of the coordinators. We are going to have Brian Laverty on with us on the 21st coming up, uh, uh, our next show. So he will tell you all about that. Please stay with us. We'll be back for more right after this. And those of you who are watching us, we didn't go anywhere. We're, we're just all sitting here staring at each other. Uh, but welcome back. Welcome back, uh, audio audience. I'm here with Drew. How you doing tonight, Drew? I don't know what he's poking over there. Uh, <laughs> pay attention. We're doing a show here. Uh, I was trying to give you a wet willy. Uh, and uh, how are you doing there, bud? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, we have Rhiannon. I keep seeing Rhiannon, Rhiannon. It's tomato, tomato. It's, uh, I just don't want to butcher her name, but, uh, she's a sweet individual. Uh, I mean that wholeheartedly. Cause like I said, I thought the, the first meeting was going to go just horrible. Uh, cause I wasn't sure what I was walking into, but, uh, you turned out to be, a great connection, a great friend, and uh, I support everything she's doing over there. I support a lot of, you know, some of the things I'm about here in Kalamazoo, but I wanted you to know that, you know, Berrien Springs is twinkling in my eyeball. You know, after we were there that night, I kept thinking, you know, I, I used to drive through there all the time. Just before I retired, I was delivering auto parts. So literally up the road from you past the university on the left, I was going to an import place. And then oh, I was... Yeah. I was, I was delivering to a shop down in Niles. So I was going right through that strip every day and I would stop and I would actually have lunch there and sit out in the grass, you know, in the spring and summer. So, you know, there we are. Uh, it's caught my eye. Actually, uh, my wife daughter drove by there tonight and, uh, they had to go to, um, Benton Harbor and get my daughter's hair done. And they came back through and she, she got home. She goes, I don't know how in the hell you guys did all that in just a few hours. She wow. said, that place is immense. She goes, I would spend a day, an entire day, just walking around looking at the buildings. You were actually doing something there. How you did it in just a few hours, a I will never know. It's like, it's like I said, a small they kicked town. this out. It's, it's, yeah, it is. It's like a small town, yeah. I said, I could have stayed there till dawn, but Rihanna told us to get the hell out. She had stuff she wanted yeah. to do, and sleeping I mean, was one. There was a stick involved. I'm still healing. You know, on my back, I got scars. <laughs> But it was, uh, it was only the stick. I have metal only... on the property. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun was had by all. I will tell you that night turned out to be, like I said, a, I mean, I fought with some cameras, but we finally got some stuff done. I'm going to let Drew talk here in a second about what he felt no, going on, on his end. I will. I promise. Um, but we had a fun time in town. I know uh, you were out front on the steps. And we said, hey, we're going to go take a break, walk up to the speedway, which is literally like not even a block. And uh, one of my people, Crystal, dare Deb, because you have a church out there. And I don't know whose brilliant idea this was. Let's take our church bell and it's functional. And we're just going to put it out on the ground so that anybody walking by randomly can ring this. Right. So she dared, Crystal dared her to do this. And I'm ahead of him. So I don't know what's going on. And I will tell you, it, it made me jump a little because she was back there pushing on it, and it, it finally rung. And uh, I 
I kind of yelled at them both. It's like, you're going to get us kicked out. She's going to hear that, obviously, from over there and think that we're up here screwing around. I thought so. that we was up, because we do have a bell in our belfry. Um, and I thought someone went upstairs in the balcony, and I thought that was our bell. And I'm like, who? <laughs> it's like midnight. I'm like, stop, stop, stop See, and, and I wouldn't do that. And, and like I said, even that, I'm like, what are you guys doing? You know, we don't touch people's property. What are you doing? <laughs> so it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. I, um, I, I still want to know who lit off the fireworks at 1130 at night and scared oh, the man. hell out of us in the, uh, in the uh, blacksmith shop. Yeah, courthouse. We heard that too. It was loud. It was. We loud. are right in the middle of, of doing a voice recording and stuff, and just all of a sudden, boom! And it's, both of us jumped. Then all of a sudden, the windows started lighting up on the side of the building. It's like ah, fireworks. Okay, gotcha. I don't know. I How's was it? in my office and scared the Jesus the hell out of me. I was like, what is that? Oh my god! I bet you. Like, oh my god! Are we gonna lose electricity? Did something explode? <laughs> right. Wait for the police sirens and all the emergency sirens going off. How did the dog react? Did, did she go nuts? Uh, I think she was startled, but she didn't do too much. Once she realized it was the only that was the only loud sound, she calmed down after that. She's not a fan of fourth. It's weird. My last dog could snooze through like a hurricane. The dog didn't care. He just. But she she's a, she's a little bit more uptight than. My last dog was so Fourth uh, of July thunderstorms. Fourth of July more than thunderstorms, but she doesn't like those loud noises. Yeah, our our corgi and our new lab man they they run for they were running for cover when we had fireworks going yeah, off. Yeah, my here. my black cat turns as white as fresh driven snow when fireworks and stuff go off. I mean, straight so, up yellow stripe down the back. So I've watched both so, your videos. I'm turning it over to Drew, folks, for a minute here. Watch both your videos. Intriguing. I mean, there's a lot of night shot stuff. Um, so tell us what you did and what you came up with during the night. Well, I, I went away from the norm. I, I, I love using a voice recorder, but you know, there are so many people that, that don't find a voice recorder reliable, especially when you don't stand there in front of the camera where everybody can see anything you want to walk around get all the angles of a room and stuff so i just basically uh i used my other devices um my different gauges my emf detectors um and i i walked around the room with those because well you know you can't manipulate the readings on those you can't you can, there's no way to i mean what you you get what is there and uh it's funny rihanna mentioned you know the police just a second ago and, and one of the one of the most direct responses that we got is when, when we were out by the little jail cells and uh, I had Lisa standing in one of the jail cells and I, I had my little laser grid set up on both sides. And all of a sudden we hear a siren and it gets closer and closer and closer. And then right there over the voice box fire, right as the chief fire chief was turning down a speedway and coming past the front of the property. It says fire real loud and you can hear it. And then there's the fire chief shooting by. It's like, oh, okay. All right. 
But I have never, I have never been to an investigation on a property like that where we had so many direct responses to questions, to stimuli, to the most basic, most basic things. And I even put in the second video, we got, we kept getting Alexander, Alexander, Alexander. And, and then all of a sudden we got Joe. It's like, huh, I wonder if Alexander may have been a last name. So I started looking and realized there was a geographer in Berrien Springs in the 1860s named Joseph Andrew or Joseph Alexander. So, you know, where he was at at that time, whether he was in that cabin at one point in time or not, who knows? Or even on the property where the cabin used to sit. But, you know, I would. I would say real quick too, to that, um, you know, when we use these devices, I'm not always, I'm not always convinced that a lot of the voices are people that seem to talk to us, you know, if we're going to call them otherworldly, you know, um, have to be from that property or that home. I think once they're aware that, you know, we're asking questions out loud and they, they're aware that we can hear them or that we're aware of their mm-hmm. responses. I've called it a phone to the dead because I wish her SB seven would have worked a little better, but mine was on cue for a short time until I had a, a problem with one of the speakers, but um, that's since been fixed, but it, I'm just not always convinced they're from the property. I think you're right. I think, I think that's a big jump, but I still think that it's a good guess, you know, that it could be anybody from the area that would have frequented that courthouse or done business down there in that time frame. Why not? Who's to say? Or it could be any mm-hmm. of the many artifacts we have in the collections. Correct. Uh, because pretty much everything we have, with the exception of maybe two or three pieces, all were just donated from people. They're not original to the property. They came from somebody's house right. or Good point. Um, mm-hmm. another business or, you know, we inherited a lot. I mean, obviously as a museum, we inherited a lot of stuff. Right. So there's, and there's a lot of, a lot of artifacts in there. We've got, Thousands, tens of thousands of artifacts. I'm sorry. As skeptical as I can get on things, you're not going to come to me and tell me a museum's going to have like 15,000 physical artifacts and not one of them isn't got something attached. Some attachment, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Everybody, listen to what she said there. She's making a good point. We've said that before on these programs. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. the skeptical side of me is there too. I'm not saying everything, but... You know, Rhiannon, you know this as well as I do when it comes to historical things like belongings, dressers, watches, things of those eras. These were things you didn't just run down to your store and buy. That when you had these, these these things meant something to you. You had these in generations of families. Um, people were using the stuff every day. I think the material uh, reality of what they owned back then is a lot different than what we are now because we can just, we're disposable. This is a disposable last couple of generations where we just toss stuff and go buy something new, if that makes any sense. Well, and the other thing is, is we do have quite a bit in that. There's a lot of things in our collections that were handmade by somebody. We have a baby cradle that was hand carved by somebody. We have this phenomenally awesome wooden chair that's made out of somebody manipulated um, uh, tree branches, you know, tree branches. And so that Mm -hmm. was handmade. Somebody made that. So, when you're thinking about like 
you you always hear people, I put my heart and soul in there. Yeah, now I'm going to be haunted for the rest of my days because when you die, <laughs> you're coming back for it. Right, right. And like you said, not everything, but it's it's no. it, it it does stand to reason that maybe there's some stuff. Crystal has found us. And Crystal, you know, her and her mom had a shop, and she still does antiques and collectibles and stuff. So she's she was aware of that, too, you know, going into that. But go ahead, Drew, continue what you were saying. It. The, the whole property, is, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And the fact that you, Rihanna, have not had more contact, maybe it's the fact that they, you know, know about your past in Texas. They know what you used to do. And it's like, okay, well, there's nothing we're going to do that's really going to get her attention. She's seen it all. You know, me, the fact you don't go, go out looking for it. You know, um, I, I personally, I, I really, for those of you that haven't seen my videos, my, uh, I, I go out and I do the investigations and I post my videos on, um, on my YouTube channel on living history mysteries. And, um, I, I constantly was teasing my partner that night that this Alexander spirit, this entity, uh, had a crush on her, uh, because it, Every time I would get near the table, the uh, the field detector would go off. It would just, and I mean, I'm three, four feet from it, and this thing would just, be, 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 be. and the second I would get up and say, okay, well, I'm going to leave and let you talk to him, be, 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 be. and then when I left, it would just go nuts, constantly, 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 constantly. But when I'm sitting there, it's really not doing anything except when I either am leaving or whatever. But, but then we go over into the, the, the last building on the other side of the sheriff's house. And um, he's following it. We're getting Alexander over there as well. And I, I'm sitting there with my, my, my field detector and I'm, I'm moving it up and down Lisa and there's nothing going on. But the second I move it to one side, it goes at red scales on the graph. And then when I made the remark about now, you understand, you can't follow her home. You cannot leave here with her. She is here strictly to learn your history, to learn the history of these buildings. You cannot go home. You cannot torment her. You cannot follow her. All of a sudden, field levels bottom out. We get nothing else. And it's like, uh-huh, yep, I pissed him off. He was all, had a big crush thing going there, and I, 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 I peed on his post toasties or something, and now he's mad and just left. You don't want nothing to do with this anymore. Well, it's so like that. It's, it, it there, was, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason, man. You know that. I mean, there's times I think yeah. we overwork the energy or whatever it takes them to manifest or whatever. I don't really know how to put it in better words other than I think we overwork the room or, or we've, we've done too much. That's why I used to take breaks, you know, with these investigations, because I was trying to give the energy and different things a rest, you know, for a short period of time. Plus, we had a full moon going that night. And not only do the crazies come out on full moons, um, I believe there's a lot of connection between that and paranormal. I've believed that for years. Yeah. Um, anybody who's... Can I just, sorry, can I just remember, I did not plan for the full moon when I picked that date. I just picked what I felt was the easiest weekend <laughs> sure to Sure you that. didn't. I'm the, no, I'm the bad pagan. I have to look up when the damn moon's full because I don't know what the date is. Bad pagan. Hey, bad pagan. I well, think having say, a harvest I, moon the night of our investigation was absolutely perfect. It was awesome. 
Yeah, it was beautiful. Okay, I'll take credit for that. How about that? Take credit. Yeah, take credit for it. Yeah, I've had a lot of I've had a lot of good investigations with you know uh, nights like that, full moon, uh, especially winter too. You know, I'm I'm there's there's a um, metaphysical side of me and the science side of me, which has a 50-50 connection in meaning that I'm all about the Van Allen radiation belt in winter, fall and winter, because I've gotten some of my best evidence in fall and winter due to that, because we are pelted with negative and positive ions. And if you're going to put this in metaf metaphysical terms, the pagans and the Wiccans and everybody else who were practicing this type of stuff, they already knew this. They already knew that, yep. you know, when this stuff would be at its height, they already knew. So I kind of follow suit with that sometimes too. And, and I've been in investigations outside in, in snowstorms, snow up to my knees because I'm a nitwit, but I've had some of my best EVPs in a cemetery with the snow up to my knees uh, as opposed to, you know, a clear spring night. Now that night we had the moon. I think it really helped. And I'm also a person that would tell you that right after a thunderstorm or, or anything that's electrically involved, we have a lot of good, good uh, information and good process for oh, investigating yeah. the paranormal too. But, you know, on those times when high humidity or things just don't seem to be in line, I, I just, I've been at places and gotten nothing. And I went into your place, uh, Rhiannon, thinking that, well, maybe we'll get something. I don't know. Um, I wasn't, you know, again, I try not to let myself down by coming in there with high hopes, you know, thinking that it's just over the top haunted. I think you have activity. I would never call your place haunted. I think you have some light activity, which, again, with all the churches and all the people that have been in and out of that property, it just, it just stands to reason. If you're a slight believer in this stuff that uh, some energy's got to be left over. It has to be. We heard in the church, Drew, we heard um, Lynn may may have thought, Lynn Feek, who was there with us, uh, thought it might have been her coming in the bathroom, but we heard her when she came in to go to the bathroom, and we heard her leave. And about 20 minutes after that, we were on the balcony, and we were just sitting up there uh, asking some questions. We were getting ready to move down to the courthouse, you know, the second floor itself, and we heard a large door slam like the front door had been slammed and uh, hmm. we were trying to make sure unlike later that it was shut because of the alarm and all that so i went i mean i i don't run fast anymore ran and i want you to know that but i will <laughs> on occasion so i moved pretty quick down the steps and i was to the front door and there, there was nobody um we then when we came down to the second level before we started asking questions um i broke the k2 meter out an EMF meter, two separate devices. And I started asking questions and I got a hit on one particular chair, which was, which to me, if I were going to look at the um, seating in the courthouse, I know you said we were kind of at an angle to me that would have represented West, but it seemed like it was in the uh, South uh, West corner. And about that time we heard shuffling upstairs, like somebody was walking in the balcony and, you know, we were looking cause we had, we had one light on, we didn't, we didn't go completely dark and we couldn't see anybody, but we certainly heard uh, footsteps. And then that's when we had the interaction with somebody named Ben. Um, I don't know who Ben and it was Ben or Benjamin. Uh, they didn't like me sitting in the chair. We then proceeded to get some cuss words thrown at me, which I know is not random radio traffic. I mean, you know, uh, they got rules. And uh, when you hear the F word, uh, telling me to F off and to get out. Somebody didn't want us sitting in his area. 
And I don't take that as a threat. It's just, you know, somebody, I'm in somebody's space. They don't want me there. So we had some activity in there. Um, when you were giving the, the speech and you were, you were in that lower part where the, you've got that museum, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I got really weirded out because it's been years since I've been touched. I, that sounds really bad. Any other time <laughs> I would have said that. Okay. In a paranormal sense. Okay. All right. Let me it's, it's really that. funny too, because his wife strikes me as a touchy thing. Now, nah, you know, it's all a lie when you get married. I'm just going to say that. No. So, I married. Tell me about it. So you were, the day you, were you say I do. She said, I don't know more. I know. Right. So when you were talking about the people walking over to the new church and you pointed out that photograph, somebody, and I felt it was female because it was that soft. I felt a hand on my shoulder and it pushed my shoulder down. And that's why I just kind of sat there with a look on my face. Cause the last few times we've gone to something, I've had some things happen to me that I haven't happened in years. So I'm never creeped out by it. I'm actually amazed. And so I was really hoping to get contact down there. And when we went down there, we got nothing, absolutely nothing. But uh, that's my experience. But I know that you had much more. You were working the cabin, Drew, and uh, we went over well, to the- Well, you know, uh, and I wanted to do the courthouse. I wanted to do the courthouse so bad because when, when she was talking, I went in there and I sat down, you know, from the way a courthouse is set up these days, I was looking at where the prosecutor- from the judge's angle where the prosecutor would or prosecution would set where the defense would set, they would always put the charged up against the railing. So they couldn't, you know, hit the aisle away and make a run. I sat down there and I felt things just putting my palms flat on that table. So, I mean, I really wanted to do the courthouse, but the luck I was having in the blacksmith shop and in the cabin and out on the plaza, I thought for sure I was going to scare up the Scolari brothers or, or Bury in Springs version of the Scolari <laughs> brothers Scolari or something like brothers. that. Yeah. And, and just, it's like, okay, we're not going to make it in there. We're getting so much activity in this cabin. We'd have been screwed. I didn't, I didn't bring the pack in the car that night. There was no room. Right. Um, but I was going to ask you, Rhiannon, uh, we also had a light uh, in there that was blinking on us mm -hmm. a couple times. And I wanted to know if that's something normal that you noticed in the courthouse. A light blinking? Yeah, you know that light that hangs over? The, you've got it strung across the thing there? Yeah, there in the foyer. Yeah, the when, we were sitting, when we were sitting down below, it, it blinked on us twice. Like on and off. That Yeah, Crystal noticed it. So I'm just, I wasn't sure what was going on, if that's something normal. Um, so I thought I'd ask. <laughs> so, that's new to me. Okay. And the thing is, is I might, if it was blinking, I probably would not think ghostly on that. Um, we installed those lights in 2019 and a lot of those bulbs are starting to go bye-bye. Right, right, so I would right. just assume that because I lost quite a few bulbs from its sister lights down in the, the gift shop. I'm like 15 years of my ass, these damn LEDs. It's really funny. It's really funny too, Dan, because you mentioned the door slamming. And when we were in wow. the very last building, um, Lisa was standing back by the door. I was standing up real close to the piano. And um, all of a sudden, that the, the little short black-haired girl, what was her name that Deb? was with us? Deb. She come walking in. I, I'm sitting there, and I ask a question into the, into, the, into the box. All of a sudden, the door just... <laughs> 
and I look back and I don't see anything. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. And then I seen her peek around the door and then she went back out. And, I'm like, okay, that for just a second, that scared the hell out of me because I was like, um, I don't yeah, get she's, scared. She's good at that. Yeah. She's I'm married. I, I've been married twice and died twice. Nothing scares me anymore. No, and surprised me a lot. She's uh she's been with me since day one, and then uh, Deb Para, who I'm shared grandparents with, is you know the old VP of the group. We used to call them Big Deb and Little Deb. And we used to call her Little Deb, America's favorite snack cake. She it was just funny. It was just funny at the time. You had to be there, okay? Um, but I had but, I had a good investigation. Try. You know, I I. I know that your schedule is busy and all that type of thing. Cause the first thing on my, on my mind was, man, you know, um, we're going to have to wait now probably till next year or whatever to come back in, but, um, that's okay. You know, we, we did what we wanted to do and now I think there's activity and maybe come at it in a different light, you know, maybe come at it with, you know, a smaller group of people, maybe not have, you know, six or seven of us, uh, maybe we have three, three or four of us, you know, if there's a return, but, I just wanted to thank you up and down immensely because I had, like I told you before, I had met the little old man that was running it probably 12, 13 years ago. He gave me a great tour. He was the nicest guy. And we talked about coming in and then I just never followed up. So that was bad on me, but, um, I hadn't got a, I hadn't got a walk through the courthouse or any of the stuff that he showed us. And I was blown away. It's a beautiful site. And I think people should donate money, money to you guys and help you out. Yep. You know, you're doing a lot. And you of know, it's, it's really, a, it's really a shame too that Rihanna's schedule the remainder of this year is, is so busy because I had an hour after an hour being there and, and just an hour in the investigation. I had an amazing idea. Give three thousand dollars and asked to spend the night. Maybe that might look at her. See the smile. Yeah. She didn't say no. We made that <laughs> joke that night. I think it was Drew and I having the conversation as I was, I think it was over by the cabin. Rent, renting the cabin out. Yo, but I something. I like, there's no, other than electric, there's no water, there's no heat, there's no air, there's no bathroom. It's camping. It's camping. <laughs> it's camping in a hard tent. I'm sucker to stay in there. Yeah, yeah. It's but, camping. I don't but know. I had an amazing idea on how to. Too much damage potential, I think, to the artifacts, but. Yeah, I had an amazing idea on how to bring a decent sum of money in for the association, <laughs> but it would have to wait till next year. Well, sure, we could. And that is doing the same there. thing with that property that you do with uh, the Winchester Mansion. Get two or three guides and bring in 20, 20 people per guide. Charge them twenty five bucks, thirty well, she's bucks, old fifty bucks. That. She knows. She's yeah, old she's old. Yeah, she's and do the guided ghost her. And the, my God, the thing you don't want to do, you know, with like well, I think with what she's doing, because I'm that's in my head too. Just so you know, Rhiannon. But I just thought, like you, you know, you don't want it becoming a revolving door. You know, I don't think that's their their main mission. But like at Halloween time, you know, if you did one of these once a year or something and you had you allowed people to go through, like with me giving a lecture and us hosting a ghost hunt or something like we did at uh, the Lucky Wolf and Pawpaw, you know, um, 
we, you know, I split half the proceeds with them. I mean, they still walked, I mean, with concessions and everything, they made 600 damn dollars for one day. <laughs> so that's 600 bucks that they, they wouldn't have made. And, um, and, and then there's other money to be made on merchandise and stuff too. But uh, a I mean, lot of historical societies, uh, a lot of historical societies, a lot of historians don't really want to concentrate. I've seen, and this is where Rhiannon's really different. And I actually met a group of people last week that also were very different. They don't want to. They don't want to concentrate on the paranormal side of the no, history. They you don't want to give up his integrity. Yeah, that's a tricky but thing. I had a meeting last night with the Cass County Historical Society because they're doing their Cass County Fall Festival on the second of October, and I'm going to be doing a, a Civil War captain, and. Um, they are all for next October opening up all of the historical sites in Cass County for us to come in and do investigations. Well, so I get where the, she's the, at. The she's, new, in a tricky, she's in a tricky situation and I get it. You know, she wants to protect integrity and that's why I respect where she's at with it, you know, because I'm that way I with Henderson. Well. You know, we, we do this once a month, but as I told Francois, I don't want it to become you know, like Waverly, where it's a revolving door, then that's oh all you focus God, on. Yeah. And, then, and then everybody doesn't give a crap about the history and, you know, the people with that were there because that, that means more to me than me doing the investigation, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. I like hearing more about the hit. Well, you too. I like hearing more about the history than I do anything else, but if she chooses to work with us, that's cool down the road. You know, I'm going to be there on what the 13th, right? Yes. Of October. October 13th. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to give everybody a quick preview. So, I will be there in a different capacity, folks. Um, you're going to see this baby. Uh, this will be there with me on my back. Uh, you know, we've got it wired up for lights and different things that it does. This is an actual movie pack. Got the Egon Spengler wand. So I'm going to be there. Uh, Ghostbusters in tow. So anybody watching that's in the area, if you want to come on down, I believe Crystal's joining our ranks. Uh, I believe... Uh, because I'm on my way down for that day that I told you about South Bend, Drew. But if you're available that day, suit up. Uh, we'll come down and we'll we'll uh, let your people in Berrien Springs get a load of some of the Ghostbusters and some of our, our cars and our, our equipment, I guess. Yeah, so we are, for those who are not familiar with this, which might be everyone if they have not been paying attention. Um, this year, I have, uh, I was able to... Our previous fundraisers were these sit-down dinners with like historic actors, and they were not making. They were not much in the way of fundraisers. I mean, yes, seven thousand, seven thousand, but fundraisers should be raising a fair amount, at least five digits for an organization to be considered a major fundraiser for them. And so, <coughs> excuse me. So I convinced. I've been talking as early as twenty nineteen about switching it to having it on the grounds at the History Center at Courthouse Square. And then everyone's like, well, we have to have a backup in case of bad weather. Like, but it needs to be at the museum. I'm like, don't tell me. I'm the one that told y'all this. <laughs> don't change the narrative. It's me. I'm the one that said it. And we talked about having a party in 2020 uh, for like, like a, a 1920s like dance party. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, and then it got canceled because of COVID. Yeah. So the idea of having a party has been around for almost three years. The earlier this year, I was having a conversation with our accountant, and she says something about her kids like to do like cosplay stuff and whatever. And I was like, 
Oh my god, I can do a Halloween custom party! That'd be so awesome! So I went to the board and I said, let's let's just change it. So we decided to lower the price a little bit this year to $50, because it is our first year. And so we called it Masquerade on the Square. So the idea is that it invokes this really cool, awesome event and classy, but still a lot of fun, right? Masquerades and parties yep. are a lot of fun. So it's a party. A, a fundraiser should do three things. It should build relationships within your community. It should raise money. Obviously, it's a fundraiser. Right, right. That's why you're there. Right. And it should raise our profile within the community. But right. the number one thing mm -hmm. a fundraiser should be is fun. We're celebrating mm -hmm. a wonderful organization and all the wonderful work that we're doing. So we decided to do the Halloween party. We've had a lot of response. I wish people would stop saying, yes, they love the idea and buy their damn tickets already because I'm pulling my hair out. I'm panicking. I'm less than a month out. Um, but anyway, the event is I know October what you 13th. feel. <laughs> I know better. I've been doing this for years. I should know better. And I still am allowing myself to freak out. But anyway, it's October 13th, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the History Center Courthouse Square, 313 North Cass Street in Berrien Springs. The evening uh, is $50 per ticket and then $450 for a table of 10. Um, 18 and older only. We will have uh, special wristlets for the under 21 so the bartenders could easily identify them. Um, it is... Uh, then we'll have a food and dessert buffet. We'll have good seasonal fall stuff like beef satay and pumpkin pie tartlets. We'll also have vegetarian options available. Uh, we will have a bar. This year it is an open bar, although if somebody wants to help sponsor the open bar, I am happy to take your sponsorship money. Um, it will be, uh, we'll have like fall style Michigan beers, uh, no hard liquor. Um, and our signature drink will be an apple cider sangria. We're very excited about that. We will have a silent auction, wonderful items from area museums, businesses, places from Kalamazoo, Holland, South Bend, all sorts of wonderful locations are giving. Um, sports fans, we have stuff for you as well. And then we will have um, photo backdrop in the cabin. Drew and his guys will be there for photo opportunities as well. And then we will have a tarot card reader who will be joining us. We're very excited about that. Very simple, like one or two card pulls. If you want a full reading done, please take, take Jade's information. She'll happy to charge you, take your money and give you your reading at another time. Our buildings will be open and then we will be available. All We'll have dancing. The other thing is we're going to do dancing um, on the jail plaza. We're going to make that our dance. Um, so why do I need to buy a dance floor? I have the jail plaza. We'll dance on the jail plaza. So if anyone has any suggestions, for, a one, for our playlist, drop them in our inbox. We'd love to have them. Um, and then we will also have trick-or-treating. So as part of our centerpieces, we will have cauldrons filled with candy. And when you arrive and pick up your ticket, check in, you'll receive an actual mask because it is a masquerade, but you'll also receive a small bag to go trick-or-treating through all the different tables. There will be duplicates, of course, but we'll have really nice candy sponsored by Driscoll and Barrett, uh, Barrett Driscoll Pediatrics in St. Joe. Um, she has not finalized the list that she wants, but I finalized mine. So we just got to mesh them together and get the candy. Um, and so it'll be a wonderful evening had by all. Costumes are not required, but we will have a costume contest for those who, um, who will like to get dressed up. We'll have best historic costume, uh, best couple, funniest, and most original. Uh, there may be a potential fifth 
category of best group costume because I had someone go, we're all going to have to coordinate for group costumes. So we, you don't have to if you don't feel comfortable dressing up or it's not your thing, but you still want to come out and have a good time. That's great. Our goal is to raise $12,000 from this event. Uh, we are still needing sponsors to help cover the cost. Sponsors interested um, have opportunities for both presenting sponsor and at different levels. Email me at rcizon at barianhistory.org to, um, to get the paperwork and I'll send it to you. The last possible day, if you want to get, we'll take sponsorships up until the day of. Um, <laughs> we'll take money. We'll take your money. We don't care. Um, but if you want to get any of your perks, especially like the Facebook posts, those need to be uh, money and Information needs to be in my hand by October 1st. Uh, last day to submit items for the silent auction is October 6th. And the last day, or excuse me, October 9th, the last day to purchase your tickets is October 4th. We have to have a cutoff date because the caterer is going to need it. Um, so if don't dilly-dally, get your tickets in Ooh, before they usage. disappear. There will be no dilly-dallying. So one thing I cannot stand is the dilly-dally. Which is why I'm having a conniption, because I only have like three tickets sold in my system. Listen, I know what you're feeling, you know. Yeah, I know what you're feeling, because Ghost of Rama went the exact same way. I'm thinking, is anybody going to show up? You know, and the day of, everybody said, Dan, it's going to be fine. And then I was overwhelmed. So hopefully it'll go the same direction for you, where it's it's an overwhelming success. But I would I would tell you as a friend, a newly acquired friend, that when you do these, remember it's the first year, so it's a growing, right. it's a growing process. <laughs> I have been doing. I've been working in the field for almost twenty years. So I've been I didn't doing even have to say Large-scale fundraisers yeah. for like well over ten of those right. years, and I know this. I logically know this, especially because we're also hitting in areas that we've never marketed before. So it's new. It's, it's it is a very new thing for us. It's a new thing for our communities. Um, and so I went ahead and we're going to take the risk. Um, we are hoping for 200 this year, if we can get it. Um, we feel that'll be a wonderful opportunity. We will do an ask, of course, and we'll have a great silent auction. So I think if we can get the rest of the sponsors and we can get to cover the costs or the, the remaining, the, the majority of the remaining costs, and we do very well in the ask ticket sales and um, silent auction. I think we can make we can walk away with a decent amount of yeah, money. Yeah, and I'm and I'm honored to be part of that. Thanks for asking me to yeah. to come down. So anything we can do for all these places like yours across Michigan, um, we do. We we go to a lot of places to just bring attention to the event. So right. and and believe it or not, there are some people that come down just to see us for some crazy reason. Yeah. So, and so the, if anyone does want to come see you, they are going to have to pay. But again, this is a fundraiser. We are. That's what it's about. You know, we, we need to raise those funds. Right. When we, for a lot of people, what they don't understand about nonprofits is if I hear one more person go, just write a grant, I might possibly just, you know, strangle them with a grant form. Yeah. Um, me... Grants and major donors, like especially for like a business, they want to donate something they perceive as sexy. And so when grantors go, they go, well, what do you, what's your measurable outcome? They don't give for salaries. They don't give, you know, it's a thousand dollars a month in the winter for us to, for natural gas to heat those, the only two buildings. I only have two buildings I have to heat, including the courthouse. And it's a thousand dollars a month in winter, sometimes 1200. I think at our height, we hit 1300 at one point a Good month Lord. for our natural gas. You know, we, our electric gets high in the summer because we're running the AC 
And that can get six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month. We, but people don't give to pay our electric bill or to pay my staff. Like, I'm sorry, there is a measurable outcome in paying my staff. I don't starve to death. How wonderful is that? You know, we still yeah. have to buy paper. We still have to buy ink for our, you know, our. Um, There's transfer. overhead. Yeah. There's overhead. Buy, yeah. Yeah. We still have to, you know, we still have to operate as an organization. So shopping in my gift shop, coming to my fundraisers, giving at our annual appeal, um, paying for our program, you know, paying program fees, just giving generally to the museum. All of that ensures that I have enough money to pay my staff. And John and I are very underpaid. I am with my level of experience, knowledge, and skill set, I could be making twice as much money minimum in the for-profit world, but I make 42000 a year, and that includes my taxes, so it's definitely way less than forty-two in my pocket. John has twenty over 20 years experience. He, ha- he also has a master's degree. He's phenomenally talented, and he only gets paid thirty-one, right? So we are highly underpaid, but we still need to be paid so that we can live. You know, I still need to have the light. Don't tell me that you want to come visit and then get mad when I use your mission fees or your donations to keep the lights on because how are you going to see anything if the lights are off? Correct. So fundraisers like this are vitally important to operations because donors don't always give to operations because it's not something they can put their name on. It's not something they can associate with. And that's not to sit there and say all donors are like that. I get people who they'll give me 500 bucks and go have fun with it. I'm like, that's my paper fund, right? Or, ooh, I can get ink for the printer now. <laughs> so there's all of these costs, like joining like our memberships into organizations so that we can network and promote and continue to be a part of our communities. People don't give to that. So that's why I push for that. And eventually, someday, we'll raise the prices on these tickets when it becomes the premier Halloween party in Berrien County, because I have high hopes. You know, so stuff like this is vitally important to our survival, you know, as an organization. Yeah. The county does give, but we have salaries and we have bills and we have programs and we have all sorts of stuff. And of course, you have to keep in mind, I'm in the middle of renovating a dining. You know, this organization was dying. So I'm, I also spend a lot of time getting money to fix exhibits and to redo exhibit spaces and to make things look nicer so people want to come and spend their money. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's so if you want to come and you want to visit Dan, you got to pay and you got to pay ahead of time, plan ahead. You know, it's going to be because you can you can go hang out with Dan and then go trick or treating or go dancing or get your cards read. Because you, you folks, you you paid you paid the same price to get into the Comic Cons to see us too, so there's no difference. Mm-hmm. You know, you exactly. don't get to People come in and see more. us free inside the Comic Cons all over Michigan, and this yep. is no different. Yep. So, exactly. I tell everybody, just you know, you're getting your money's worth, and not just to see us a bit, but there's a lot more going on. So, I've done a series of, of fundraising events at places like yours. You know, I still do. Um, I'm going to be up in Nashville at Foxview. I do a lot of talks and lectures, and like I said, I I share the funds with the place because I'm trying to help them make some money to can to keep their history alive in the location that yep. they're working. I do that at Turner Dodge house in Lansing, uh, Fort Wayne, <laughs> you know, uh, that's what you I know, do. These- we're trying to make October our month and Halloween, our thing, um, right. our partners up in North Berrien, 
uh, they do Christmas. Like Christmas is like he's already planning. It's 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 September and he's already planning for yeah, Christmas, right? You have to, yeah. You, you know, so he could do all this Christmas stuff. That's his thing. And I said, you know what? We don't. We're there's there's some overlap in our audiences. <laughs> um, you know, they have done. You know, they've done. You know, some there's some overlap in our audiences, but people in North County stay in North County, and people in Central County kind of stay in Central County. Um, and anyway, so you know, I was like, okay, well. Why don't we just say we'll get, I mean, we do our Christmas thing with the village. That's, that's something else. But I said, if we're going to do something that is definely ours, then let's do October. People are coming up for leaf peeping. People are coming up for the U-Picks. They're already still doing tourism, although not as much as we are in August or July, but we still have tourists in the area. Why not go ahead and make that our month and we'll do Halloween. We'll do fall. And so we have the, we're, we're pairing with Twin City players. We'll have four, three nights and one day event where the Twin City players are going to come out and read ghost stories in the cabin. Um, we have limited spaces for that, but we're going to clean out the back section of the cabin. I wrote the ghost stories. I pulled from my many ghost books. I have, I collect ghost books when I travel. So I just kind of altered them and kind of shortened them up or whatever. And they read the stories and you're in the cabin. The lights are off. It's creepy and spooky and a lot of fun. We have three nights of that. We have one afternoon, one for the little, little kids. Uh, So we'll read like fun little, like, you know, Susie goes trick or treating or something or whatever. Little roast marshmallows and stuff. I just, I, yeah, you just made me think of my grandkids, and I want to tell people out there: it's not a good idea to tell your grandkids when they're five and six the golden arm story. Okay, because it scared the living crap out of my grandkids. Where's my golden arm? So, appropriate yeah. ghost stories for little appropriate ones, ghost okay? stories for the little ones, and that's Grandpa that's October sixteenth at two o'clock. I, and we'll also be in the cabin. We've got trick-or-treating. So if you're in Berrien Springs, we will be open for trick-or-treating. You go from building to building. we got different candy and goodies in the buildings. Um, we could use volunteers for that if anyone wants to come down. Um, and then we... Yeah, in there, just by the way. By the way, we can always use volunteers. Come on um, in. You know, we're decorating. We've got the signature event. We got a quilt exhibit coming up beginning in October. So nice and cozy for the <laughs> fall and into the holiday season. We do have some tours with the city, uh, Mary City of David. Those are not really fall or hot. But the point is, is I could do another night where we could pay 25 bucks and we'll limit to 20 people. And, you know, they can to help. They can join a tour, you know, a ghost hunt. You know, they'll maybe maybe the first few hours and then we boot them and you guys finish the job or whatever. We could do that. The idea. Yeah. You know, They're money I, makers. Yeah, you know that. They're money makers. Yeah, and yeah. I know that we're also doing a Day of the Dead altar beginning October 1st. Community altar. Folks can come bring stuff. And I just got interviewed by the Herald Palladium about that. And he said, oh, well, cool. why? He's like, well, why are you doing it? I said, because it's the perfect thing. Day of the Dead and similar ghost-oriented memory holidays like that, you know, All Souls Day, you know, Hungry Ghost Festival in Asia – these are all designed, they're around memory. They're around memory. They're around yeah. um, our past. They're around our connections. It's a hor- yeah, right? it's a historic it's connection. Correct. I yeah. said, and that's what we do in museums. Yeah. What are we but one giant ofrenda for our community? Maybe correct. not all of your family mm-hmm. members, but we're in a, we are a permanent memory location for the community. An opportunity to share in nostalgia share in history, heritage, and culture. 
that's what we are. So right. for me, there is a balance. Uh, there's a plenty of people in the museum field who are anti-ghost, anti-ghost hunting. Oh, yeah. These people are boring. They have no life. They this have a correct. stick up their butt. Thank you. This is I'm correct. 38, I feel so, the yeah, same way. I'm like, why? I spoke, folks, I spoke at the University of Michigan less than seven years ago about paranormal investigations connection to historic renovation. Mm -hmm. And we thought we wouldn't have anybody in. We, we wrote a dissertation to go there and, as a guest and speak. We had 75 people in the room and they were all historic people like you. There were, there were museum curators, our curators, and there were people who were restoring buildings and they all had stories to tell. And in the roundabout way, what, what Drew does as well, and I want everybody to hear this on this program, the reason that I became friends with Drew, because Drew was doing the same thing that I had started in 2008, which was, you know, a history with a mystery. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not over, over the top about telling you there's ghosts at your historic place. I want you to learn the, listen to me, everybody. I want you to learn the history first. These people were important. They were here before you were here. Where do you think you came from? <laughs> Uh, they had lives. They, they had an array of emotions, whether it be good, bad, or ugly. They were here. They built these communities. They should be remembered. I'm sure that when you reach your end of days, you're going to say to yourself, I really don't want to be forgotten. And that's my connection. So that's what I did with this. I said, well, I just want to see if there's still some someone or something hanging out. And if we can make a connection to the site, which we do sometimes, this one we haven't quite narrowed them down to who they might be. But the fact is, there's something there. There's activity that speaks to the history of the grounds and the buildings. So now my trick was, if you want to call it a trick, you thought you were coming into this paranormal thing, but I hooked you with history first. Okay, so now you're caring about what goes on here with the history and, and the community and, and, of course, the buildings. But now you also got the, the treat at the end. You got your cupcake at the end, which was there might be some ghosts. So I didn't mean to get all over the top and passionate, but that's what I've been trying to do with this group with historic sites since day one. Because well, I was, I'm very angry at Kalamazoo about tearing down historic sites. And they continue uh -huh. to do it, you know? And they're not the only place. There's a lot of places in Michigan that do this. So um, it, I, I, get what, like, I get what you're saying, man. It's like I always say, and, and you folks that are, are, are hearing this, you need to listen to the words to, to get the meaning behind it. What is the paranormal if not an echo of history? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the main thing we do when we go into an investigation is we we look at the history and Put then there. we figure, yeah, stick that thing right up there. Haunted heritage. Oh, um, there you haunted go. Haunted heritage. Uh, so I actually have a lecture that I do give. Um, it maybe not be as clear as I want to give, but it's a lecture about how ghosts go, at least ghost stories. Whether or not ghosts are real is not the point. Ghost stories right. do exist. I do say that in the beginning because I always I'm going to get some Reddit atheist that's going to try to argue with me, and I don't want to deal with it. In my Every lecture. lecture I have one. Yep. Go time. Yep. yep. No, yep. folks, get the hell out. But anyway, I have a lecture that I do called Ghost in History. It's called uh, Things Go Bump in the Night, and the subtitle is uh, Ghost in History, Ghost Stories in History. So I have a I talk about how history and ghost stories can be very much intertwined how history can impact a ghost story from enhancing the story and making it even more popular to outright killing that story. 
But on the flip side, about how his, how ghost stories can create historical action. So, for example, I'm from Northwest Indiana. We have a place called Reader Road. Reader Road's still there, but it connected Griffith and Gary. And it was kind of a swampy, darker area. And eventually, at some point, there was a rumor that there was a vanishing hitchhiker on there. Um, mm-hmm. And so it kind of became a rite of passage for teens in the area, especially in the Griffith-Gary area, that once you got your driver's license, you went driving up and down Reader Road trying to find that ghost and see if you could see the ghost. And I have talked about this, and I've had people from all over Lake County go, oh my God, I did that. They said, but that's a historical memory. History is the story of what has happened, right? Yeah. That yeah. happened. That is an, that's right. an, That's not made up. That's an actual historical action that yep. we still talk about. Reader Road's been changed, so you can't do it anymore. But it's a historical action. So I talk about how, and even some cases, the ghost story can be detrimental to this to, to learning the narrative of history. It can be. Um, yeah. The two examples I give is Winchester House, um, and the other one I give is uh, uh, the Delphi uh, Lalori Delphi, uh, Delphi and Lalori down in New Orleans. But anyway, so I give this lecture about it. But when I was doing the research, I came across this book. For those of you who are listening and not watching, it's called Haunted Heritage: The Cultural Politics of Ghost tourism, populism, and the past. It's by Michelle Hanks. This is rather academic in nature, so it can be a little dry to the average reader, but it's, I think for those who are interested in how tourism and ghosts kind of interact, this is, anyway, talks about both how, you know, those who get involved in ghost stories like adding another aspect to it, and then those who can kind of hinder it. So Hanks, she is a college professor, um, but she explores it through the, the through the British system. The British ghost tours, tourism industry is the largest in the world. Oh, so it's massive. Yeah. Yeah. So she talks about like the battle between museums and ghost groups and, you know, you know, arguments between ghost groups, whether they have the real history or not. Or yeah. Even these. historical societies get into big rows. I, I dealt with exactly. one of Alan Michigan. So yeah. Those, yeah. Yes. For those interested in that aspect of it, I, there is a balance institutions for me i mean i i believe in ghosts i love ghosts i got like tons of ghosts as decorations throughout the year tons of books clearly i talk about it but there is a balance because there sometimes a ghost story is just that it's a story there's no there's nothing behind it right right? but it's a fun thing it is one of those opportunities to kind of share things and i think i don't know i don't know if dan or drew i don't know who i was talking to on on Sunday, Saturday, Saturday into Sunday about this, but there is cultural connections mm-hmm. across the the world. Yeah. We have sister stories yep. where they are pretty. Oh, it was the Bigfoot. That's yeah. what we were talking yeah, about. Me. Yeah. So where the Bigfoot is, it's consistent across the board, regardless of location, regardless of age, regardless of the group that's telling that story. It's consistent. It's big, it's hairy, it's mean, it'll kill you, right? It's consistent. Those are sister stories. But then you have cousin stories. So, for example, La Llorona down in Mexico, the Wailing Woman. You've got the Banshee up in Ireland. You've got the White Woman in Germany. You've got about two or three. There's like, I can't remember her name, but some Penobscots have a story. So, But they're different, like why she's a Wailing Woman, how the Wailing Woman acts, whether she kills or just, you know, warns people. But they're very similar. They're very similar tropes. So they're cousins. They're not all identical. 
but it's part of a cultural thing and we can't ignore it from a historical perspective because even if ghosts aren't real, these are a part of memory, heritage, and culture that cannot be ignored and dismissed just because you want to foo-foo shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I'm getting world. angry and I shouldn't. Better slow down on that. Your, uh, your book, by the way, is 4236 with free delivery on Amazon. Um, there's also another one out. Um, there's also another one out called Haunted Heritage, a definitive collection of, I believe it's North American uh, folklore uh, by Michael Mormon and Beth Scott. Um, Bill, I'm going to add that to my wish list. Yep, uh, there's yep. actually two or three haunted uh, haunted heritage books on there. So uh, yeah, take your time. Look, talks, if you're looking on the background and the interrelationship in the tourism industry and the history industry about ghosts, that's a good one. But I said she is an academic; it was a little dry. Just get yourself some booze; you'll be fine. Um. And I'm just going to bring this up towards the end of the show here. So I mentioned, oh, in, this book, mentioned in this book, it's called uh, The Veil Beyond the Grave. Um, I, I more or less gave him the title to this book. This is about the Crouch murder case in Jackson, Michigan. So those of you that want to order this book, you can find it on Amazon. Amazon, again, I don't know the cost. It's called The Veil Beyond the Grave. Um, my friend Randy... Uh, who goes by the author name of Andrew Hunter wrote this. And he basically, if you see the writing in this, it's done just like a forensic write-up. So he's a retired police detective. He was part of my group for a while. They think they solved the case of who shot the Crouch family in Jackson, Michigan. Now, as the urban, as the urban legend goes, because Rhiannon was just talking about that kind of thing, there's a lot of fact involved in the story, but there's also a lot of urban legend based on ghost interaction and ghost stories. So I had experiences there that I can't explain, but, uh, you know, she's making a good point. Another good book I would tell people to get, um, my good friend Rob has passed on. Um, Rob Conover wrote a book called Haunted No More. He did a series of books. Um, I considered him kind of like my big brother, he was from Pekin, Illinois, and Rob was the gentleman that was featured on Travel Channel and A&E for a couple of years uh, because he uh, removed that ghost from the house where the little boy saw the dead man on the swing. I don't know if you guys remember that episode. They still they show it every year. But my mm -hmm. point is, in, in line with what Rihanna was talking about, is that across the board, every country, um, there's a measure of truth in some of the stories, and a lot of them there isn't. And I like the book that she's talking about only for the simple fact that I put up a thing today on Southern Michigan paranormals about such people. There is a, there's a conglomerate within the, the paranormal field that should be featured on a show. It is more often than not, like you said, you have to be careful who you hook up with and who you're working with, because there are people who want to be over the top. It's all about entertainment. It's all about getting, uh, you know, a TV show. It's all about making you know money, but it, it's good to make money when you're telling the real side of the story, not so much when you're turning it into a circus act, you know? Exactly. Uh, there's a lot of paid places <coughs> in North America I won't go, and I will not give them money because I, I am not assured that, 
you know, with a hundred people running around in those buildings, that that's going to be conducive to anybody doing a ghost hunt ever. Yeah. Um, and it's been turned into a revolving door. So I get what you're saying. I love the fact that, you know, I try to maintain that with what I do at Henderson and other stuff that I work with. Um, I don't want this stuff turning into a circus. I don't want it turning into a laughing stock. I want my work to yeah. be taken serious, but at the same time, I'm crossing T's and dotting the I's to make sure that, you know, uh, we're doing everything above board. So I cannot, I don't work with those people. There's a lot of people that are on the outside of certain circles that I travel. And that's because it's all about sensationalism, how many books we can write, uh, whether the stuff is true or not. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm mentioned in a book called Haunted Kalamazoo. All I can tell you is that the authors of, that have done several books uh, and one that I'm featured in, you know, they were less than, than honest about uh, taking my, you know, certain stories and presenting them. I just want to put it that way. But where it comes down to a close for me is like, I want to hold the integrity of these things to the highest, if I can. Exactly. And like she said, the, the balance has to be in place for people to understand that. Um, you know, if there's other people on historic boards that aren't into this, I'm like her, I get, I get a little perturbed with that because I don't understand if you're working with the right people in the right group and you're doing it the right way, the potential for not only, you know, creating more history and, and enveloping history and, and keeping history alive. There's also, a, I hate to say it, but there's also a viable, good, honest way to as a money making uh, portion of that to help do what it is you want to do with your location. Now you may reach mm -hmm. a point where you get tired of doing that and you don't want to do it for a few years. You know, I know the the felt mansion up here has gone through several owners and they were up and down and up and down. No, we're not doing them anymore. Now we're doing them. Now we're not doing them. Um, and again, I think it depends on the group of people or the individual that you're working with. I want to tell this to everybody listening. Don't go out there and bring a group in just because they're promised you that you're going to be in their next book. Um, take a look at what their history is. Maybe if they got a resume, talk to people that have worked with them. You know, this is something I insisted on when I talked with Rhiannon. and I was more than happy to have her call up people from the air zoo and Henderson castle and all these places I've worked because they will tell you that I've never done anything to give them warrant or, or second thought about what it was we were doing there, you know? Um, yep. And, and I continue to work with those people. I can go back if I want, but I, I'm trying to move to new things. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to to do new places. So. Your, uh, your book by Andrew Hunter, uh, The Veil Beyond the Grave, uh, is available in stock on Amazon for $60.90. Wow, it's gone up. But you can't That's what I said. Haunted Heritage didn't cost me no $40 when I bought it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she, she writes westerns too, but you can't get the autographs. Ha ha. <laughs> one, one thing you were talking about, one thing you were talking about, Dan, and it's like a, it, it's like probably my biggest goal with, with when it comes to the paranormal. We are flooded on on television by these shows that go in there and they use jump scare techniques. They use. Um, Let's just say a less than honest approach. No, they provoke. They provoke, and well, people way. strive to be startled. People want show. that excitement, <laughs> and right. see, that's that's a reason. 
that now that Roku has made it available to purchase channels on Roku TV, I I am doing my best to build my channel up. I've actually uh, I've actually got a a donation in going on PayPal now, um, where I'm trying to get the money because I want to be the first purely un Hollywood edited paranormal show that only brings in YouTube-based paranormal investigators, people that don't have the Hollywood backing, the editing departments, 30 people, no say in what of your investigation is actually shown. They decide what's going to be shown. No big stars, no singers, no people with no paranormal experience whatsoever. I want to be the first YouTube-based paranormal team that only features YouTube-based paranormal teams. The little men, the little people that are out there trying to make well, it. We, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, we we strove to do that in the early days of this, too. And I think maybe that's something I'm trying to continue to. Maybe Rhiannon understands this, too, is that we just we wanted to show more of the people that were in the trenches, you know, that, that were doing really good work, um, who were above board and taking the time to do research, you know, not just calling everything a damn ghost, um, you know, because some of the stuff or I've seen happen there. The questions, you know, I tried to I try to debunk and eliminate as the best that I can uh, by, again, using many different forms of science, metaphysical belief and spiritual belief, because I don't think any, any one of those has all the answers. So I'm getting sidetracked. Here. You know, it's but you have you know, a book, really book you want to share. Darianna, and I saw let, you holding another Let book. me say this real quick, and she, she can have the rest of the time all to herself. It gets so reliable when you're watching these shows. You can almost tell they're scripted because my wife and I were sitting down the other night. We were watching a certain oh, yeah. ghost hunting show, and the people were sitting there talking about their experiences in their house. And the second the camera panned to the host, I turned to my wife, and at the same exact time, we said, you know, it sounds like a demon. <laughs> Verbatim, word for word. And she just, she looked at me, she goes, I don't, I just can't, I just can't with you tonight. I really can't. I just want to choke you sometimes. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. Every show, you know, Every show's a it demon. sounds yeah. like it must yeah. be a demon. Yeah. We could get into a lot of. Go ahead, Ria, because I, I got yeah, a lot go, to say it, on that. We don't, that's a whole nother show, no, brother. You know, it's funny because for a lot of people, in, you know, I can't shit on them because for a lot of people, you know, it's, bring, it's bringing them into the thing, right? You know, it brings them into the fold. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, whether or not it's kind of like being inducted into a gang, you know, like back in the day, if you got inducted into a gang, you got like the, they called it the like the jump. The jump chain and you get your ass beat by whatever. Yeah. Right. And then you know, it's kind of like if that's if that's what it is to get into the paranormal community, get your ass knocked around and hard knocks and bad nights, and uh, you're walking in seven feet of snow to get that EVP. I feel like these shows are more like the um there's a viral thing going on TikTok right now where people are slapping each other in the face with tortillas. I feel like that's about what a lot of these shows are. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You know, and that's, I mean, not necessarily that these people aren't passionate about ghost hunting and wanting to find answers. I feel like some of them air, get too into the idea that they're on TV. And, oh my God, we have to be this and it has to be that. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Because in the early years of things like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters and a lot of these shows, there were legitimate ass things. You're like, yes, oh my God, that Jeremy, what are we doing? Right? Oh, yeah. But then it became like the use of jump scares, weird music to hype it up. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. that's clearly a moth, bro. I don't know what you're saying. That's not a It's a moth. I can tell. Right? You know? Yep. So it becomes very dramatic. I would probably say the only show that I liked and only quit because I hated not the people who were doing the show, but the people that like the people who were being haunted was um, the ghost files. But what I liked about the ghost files, it was one of the only ghost hunting shows on TV that didn't use science. It was a very Hans Holzer approach. You had a guy who doing the research, the historical research and a medium. And that was it. And if you've never seen the ghost files, they're actually pretty, it's a pretty good show. So you're very Steve. good. Yeah. Very so good. Steve, Steve is the, is kind of the, the straight man. He's a New York city homicide detective, right? He's, Oh, you're so talking he, about right? dead files. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dead yeah. files. That's what it yeah. was. And so yeah. you have, you know, he had Amy in this. I stopped watching it. Cause it's always like, Amy's like, well, maybe you should consider bringing a priest in, maybe bringing the house down, salting mm-hmm. it or whatever. You guys should move immediately. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> done. Then next, I'm done the watching. Title, then, the, then the thing comes up. They did not do any of that and are still haunted to this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I hope right. the ghost shoves you down the stairs. You deserve it. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I'm being raped every night. Yeah. But we're still living there. But we're still living there. And what, Jesus. you know, but what I liked about it is that he, they watch, you know, Steve is interviewing people. He's, he's yeah. looking for historical reasons. Sometimes I think it could get a little with a serial killer three blocks away. Bro, you're stretching <laughs> a little too much. Now. Yeah. He was a quarter <laughs> mile down the road. Come on now. Right. But what I liked about it was it was kind of, it was one of the few that actually showed historical research as a part of yeah. trying to find a solution. And it, and it does. You're right. There's elements from a lot of the shows that you can pick. I said, watch the good, bad, and the ugly. I tell that everybody, not only in politics and everything else, but also paranormal that look at all of it and then pick the good things that you know, that are legitimate out of that. And you, mm-hmm. there, you've got something. You've got right. something, but to, to, uh, yep. like you said, to hold hands and, and totally go along with, with a couple of them that are still going on out there. It's a tough thing Be, only because I've met some people from the industry. Bob Penny's on here with crystal. Um, Bob knows that we, we worked with John Tenney and I, I did a speaking tour with John Tenney who used to work on unsolved mysteries. And then he was working on uh, paranormal. Yeah. He was working on paranormal. Uh, what was that? Paranormal class. Is that what it was? the one out of Penn state, which really wasn't out of Penn state. So he worked on both those and he quit because he, because he told me the ins and outs and then he ended up going back on TV, but it's a crazy field. That's why I posted what I did today on, on Southern Michigan, because, you know, there's, there's a viable amount of people who still consider to, who want to, you know, once you call them out, they will begin to on their, in their narcissist brain, they make it that, well, you were the one, who called this out and you're the bad one. And you were the one that started all this stuff. And that goes with some of the shows as well. Cause from what I understood, some of the shows fight with each other too, and they won't do yep. some of the same cons together. So the fact of the matter is, is that there's shit people involved in this. I just say it straight out. We're on internet. Um, and they continue to be shit people and they know they are, and there's actors involved and they have no interest in this. I, like you said, there's still some good because I liked when Rob Lowe took his sons, whether he was taking some of it sometimes with comedy and stuff, but he was still doing some serious stuff because he wanted to know, 
and his kids wanted to experience this. And I liked what they did. They, they went after all these different things and, and they went, you know, they went and did paranormal. It was really fun to watch Osborne stuff. Not so much. And, and I could name other stuff out there, but we're getting right. to the end of the show. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of good out there too. There's a lot of good people who are doing this and they're doing it for good reasons. They work with historical societies. Um, you know, SMP worked with the HRC here in Michigan uh, for quite a few years. You know, we paid 400 every year to be in that magazine because we were serious about working with, you know, historical places. You know, we worked with uh, Marshall, Michigan. We worked with Jennifer Rupp for years with the Historical Society there. I worked with Nan Taylor up in Cadillac. I mean, all over Michigan. The reason, as I said, Rihanna, was because I, I love history first and I wanted to try yep. to tell a story through what we were doing. And sometimes we had to, you know, come back and do a couple of visits, but that's because we did, you can't get everything in one, in one thing, you know, you have to right. kind of work it over and over, but I had a blast cool. there. What's your book? What's the book you're going to so show us? The, if you, one of the other issues that I feel like I have with a lot of people that are into the paranormal, not just necessarily the paranormal community is the fact that people take everything at face value and don't maybe look a little deeper into it. So it. Yes. So if you're the kind of person that wants to start changing how you see ghost stories and their relationship with locations and history, this is Ghostland, um, an American history and haunted places by Colin Dickey. Um, I'm going to admit I'm a historian, obviously by training and by trade. I read this book and I felt like I needed my college degrees taken away from me because what do we do in history? They teach you to do research, look at all these things. And they talk about the Winchester house. And they, first of all, you need to understand the Winchester house is not a museum. It is a for-profit organization that's turned really what is a really fascinating story about a woman into a sideshow. Um, yep. And it is almost embarrassing how bad it is. Yep. And I felt embarrassed that I like, Oh yeah. Sarah Winchester was haunted by ghosts and she was crazy. Instead, she was this very loving philanthropic woman. She advanced you know, women's education. She was very generous in the San Jose community. And it's there's a quote in, oh, it's over there, Haunted Heritage um, in the introduction that Michelle quoted from somebody else that ghost stories are contemporary issues discussed in the past. So, for example, everyone goes, Sarah Winchester was haunted by the victims of her husband's gun. Well, yeah. And that became, that became a real thing. And we're like, what? Yeah. Right. This and the reality is, is being angry at a gun manufacturer is a very modern contemporary well, thing. Of course it was. Probably only in the last 50 or 60 years. Yeah. I'm so, with you. I'm with you. You know, so you were, you need, so here's the thing. Ghost stories are a lot of fucking fun, but none of us would be into this field or into this subject if there wasn't some fun to There's it. There's got to be some fun involved, right? Right, exactly. But we should always be making sure that if it sounds too good to be true, it may be too good to be true it unless is, yep. proof tells mm -hmm. you otherwise. Yes, ma'am. She's got good words. Yep. Everybody listen to her. I'm mesh well. They don't mesh well. And I'm like you too. There you, you know, go. I'm That's good. Pagans and I'm friends with Wiccans and I'm friends with a lot of different people. And like you said, in every group, there's, there's like, there's fucking people that are just fucking nuts and you can't, and it goes from the paranormal too. They're just fucking nuts and crazy. And I'm like, I'm not sure what it is you're trying to do here. You know, I just, you do you, I'll do me. We can all get along at the end of the day. Just, uh, you know, just stay out of my yard. 
Uh, we'll be good. <laughs> Just don't come in we'll my yard. We'll be fine yep. if you're in California and I'm in New York. <laughs> yep, yep. It's all good. It's all good. But uh, thanks Girl. for coming on. We gotta. I want to have you back on again. We can really get into all that ghost stuff. I mean, it's, there's so much to share. Bob, you yeah. are so right. I'm more scared of the living than I am of the dead. The dead. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Yes, ma'am. I say I said that when I was working security. I was I was more worried about people out here walking around in the daytime and nighttime than I was in dark. I used to work at a hotel, so yeah. If I had my choice, I'll hang out with the dead. Oh my god. Wait, I do. (laughs) You do. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, guys. Uh I want to thank everybody for being here on the program. Drew, you are awesome as always. Uh gonna continue to work with this guy over here. Um so your overall thing is you had a great visit and you want to go back, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Whenever she'll have us back, I am more than happy to come back out there and do it all over again. That's you awesome. guys are welcome to come back. I would just probably say maybe we give ourselves a bit of a break and look in the springtime. Yes. Um, because we're heading into the winter and the fall. And to those Two of those buildings you just cannot be in in the winter. They're just too cold. Um, so yeah, you guys are welcome back anytime. Um, we do, as I, you know, as you know, Dan pointed out, we try to limit who can come out cause we don't want, I have to live in these buildings as a worker. I have to work in these buildings. I don't need somebody antagonizing my ghosts and making them like angry while I'm trying to. Yeah. Work. Yeah. We don't yep. want that going exactly. on. Yeah. And, and it's like I told you from what I was able to tell when we were in the blacksmith shop and they said your name, it was like, you know. They're happy she with what she's doing, obviously, because they didn't have nothing bad to say. I told John uh, that, my curator, and he's like, they're naming you now? I'm like, I know, right? Well, they're they're with you. They're every day. You know, that's, that's, yep. Tad hates me. Tad Moody hates me at Van Buren because he's good with hearing stuff. He just doesn't want to see anything. And uh, <laughs> I would every time we do an event there, I'd do a ghost box, and once in a while, somebody would respond to him and say hi to him, and he'd just look at me like you son of a bitch, you know? Uh, so um, they're aware of what we're doing. Uh, everybody, this has been the SMB Paranormal Show. Um, tell everybody one last time where they can find you, Rhiannon. Uh, find us online at barryanhistory.org. Find us on Facebook at the History Center at Courthouse Square. Find us on Instagram at the History Center. And uh, if you are interested in partnering with us for non-ghost-related purposes, such as programs, events, exhibits, and more, Email us at info at barryinhistory.org or give us a call at 269-471-1202. You want to come out and visit? We'd love to have you. We are open Wednesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And our address is 313 North Cass Street in Berrien Springs. Very cool. Drew, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, I'm sitting right here beside Dan. That's where he's at. <laughs> that's where. That's where you can find me, at least right now. Any other time, though, you can find me on YouTube at Living Histories Mysteries. Uh, we do offer a lot of historic uh, historic mysteries. We offer a lot of haunted history. And we uh, also do investigations at only haunted historic locations. We do just go out and investigate those places that the rumors are there are hauntings. There has to be a, a history to this place. So that's where you can find me at, Dan. 
All right. Back you guys you. know where to find me. We're at uh, right there at the bottom at uh, unrestrictedparanormal.com. Sunday nights, you can hear the audio version of this show uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on unrestrictedradio.com. That is a free app. Tell your friends, your neighbors, even people you don't like. You know, uh, it might uh, help build burnt bridges. Um, I don't know, because she offers a lot of music uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, you can hear Saturday, the Big Dog Show. I do that twice a month, and that's just me talking about boobs, beer, America. You know, the, all the things we like, you know, uh, things that are fun. Uh, what's not fun about boobs yeah. and beer? You know, and then America's involved. Well, you know, come on now. Um, I try to that keep makes it light and, better. and fun for, right, for everybody. So, um, you know, on Sunday nights, you will hear Haunted Mitten. Uh, I also throw a little of that in there, Haunted Mitten podcast. These these gals, and and I think they got a gentleman with them now, they do a great job. They tell a lot of crime stories and, and ghost stories here in Michigan. Um, also, guys, Para Post Network Central. That's what you're watching us on tonight. Go over there and give them a like. Brian Laverty was here in the room. Uh, you can see him there in the chat. Brian's going to be with us. I got to keep looking at that. I, I don't know why I can't remember the 21st. It must be the aneurysm. Uh, he's going to be with us on the Wednesday, the 21st, as our guest. He's going to tell you all about the global ghost hunt and what we're doing there. The world's largest ghost hunt, period. And uh, looks to be uh, quite cool all over the world, literally. When we say global, yep. we mean global. Gun Barrel Coffee, gunbarrelcoffee.com. You've had the rest. Drink the best. Don't drink it this time of night because you'll be up all damn night. Uh, but they do make a great product. Use BDOG12 as your code, and you can get yourself some damn good coffee. Uh, their shipping fee is quite, uh, you know, admirable. I think it's uh, very low, if I might say so. Uh, so do me a favor. Um I think that's about it. I want to thank Bob Penny for coming in here. Bob's part of the network as well. Crystal was here. Crystal uh, Johnson was part of SMP also. Uh, Bob's SMP Night Stalkers. Drew, of course, told you where to find him, and he puts on a lot of great stuff there on YouTube. And go to Berrien Springs, please, and check out this place. I'm telling you, man, you're going to be amazed. You know, the gift shop alone shocked me. You know, you had House of David baseball hats. Had I had enough money on me, I would have bought one that night, but uh, I'll be back. I'm going to get one of those, uh, and there's tons of books, and it's just a great place, very inviting. Um, so I want to thank you for being here with me here tonight. We'll see you again Most next definitely. Wednesday, and we are out. Uh, this one's in the bag, and I want to finish up, as I always do, with telling everybody, just please try to get along, and if you cannot be smarter and kinder, I'll say it again. Pay attention. If you cannot be kinder and smarter, please be quieter. Okay? Because silent courtesy costs you nothing. Just get along with everybody, will you? All right. We'll talk to you soon. Good night, all.